Great. Okay, so Marky, well, we've been going through Advent, looking at these scriptures from Isaiah. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And today we're looking at Prince of Peace, and it's been challenging me a lot over the last month, I would say. And some of us went to the prison this week to speak uh, to the, the prisoners there. And for those of you who were there, the few of you who were there as well, you're going to hear a bit of repeat, but apologies for that. But I just think for a prisoner to know peace is a big ask. But that's what the gospel is. And that's what I want us to think about now. So Marky has explained how Isaiah comes in kind of three main voices. The voice of, a, of an ambassador... His response to, God will send me. The voice of the pastoral poet. Someone who understands what life is really like and speaks into that with care and accuracy. And the voice of the prophet who speaks prophetically to the people. It shall be. This is what God is saying. This is what God is doing. Warning. And I want to weave those things into the message today. But what I want to look at is four things. What is meant by Prince of Peace? How does Jesus live this out? What does this peace mean in my own life, your life? And how does this impact how you and I should be living and interacting with others in the world we live in? So, first of all, Prince of Peace. What do you think of when you hear the word Prince of peace. What's your image of a prince, I wonder? Is it Prince Philip? <laughs> no, it's a big shape there. Okay. It's a word that's used quite frequently in scripture and it's translated in lots of different ways. And what it really means is the ruler, the chief, the captain, the one in charge. It's often used in a military context, but not always. But it's not just a title, it's a description. He is the captain. He is the boss. And the word peace is the word shalom. I expect we're sort of vaguely familiar with the word shalom, the word that's used as a greeting, uh, and still used as a greeting today, between Jews. It speaks of peace, of wholeness, of well-being, of security, of tranquility. It's peace deep in the heart. Shalom. It also denotes the opposite of war. So in Ecclesiastes, for example, it says a time for war and a time for peace. So they're kind of juxtaposed to each other. But what strikes me about this Prince of Peace title, description, is to me, it's almost like a climax of the other ones in terms of its application in our lives. So God, the Messiah, is this wonderful counsellor, this mighty God, this everlasting Father, but the Prince of Peace, that's massive. It's massive for me, it's massive for you, it's massive for the community we live in, it's massive for people in this world. I wonder if it's the one thing that most, if not everybody, is searching for. This sense of peace. 
And when someone dies, we say, rest in peace. May he be at peace. It's like it's the thing that's the most elusive. The thing that we don't really find. The thing that nobody believes is actually a reality. But we read, the God of peace be with you. We read, peace on earth. Hallelujah. So, next bit. How did Jesus live out being this Prince of Peace? I have an issue the way that the word peace is banded around at this time of year. Um, I have a little loathing of Christmas cards that have got peace written in glitter and a lovely sort of forest scene and snow coming down and a deer in the foreground and it's all wonderful. It's just not real, is it? (laughs) It doesn't work like that. Advertising bombards us with this idea, particularly in this season, if we get the latest gadget, the latest car, the best perfume, the latest game, book the holiday, or get into a new relationship, somehow we'll be more fulfilled. It's trying to sell you peace. It's trying to sell you this sense of it'll all be better. But if we're honest, we all know that's a lie. It doesn't work. It leaves us disappointed. It lets us down. But peace on earth was promised and is promised. So what peace? And what peace on earth? So what did Jesus say? He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Captain of Peace. He is the one who brings peace to humankind. What did he say? Well, he never promised an end to war. Or conflict, or disappointment, or trial, or sorrow. Not in this world as we know it. There will be a day when that will change, but we're not there yet. In fact, he warns there will be wars, and rumours of wars, and tribulation. But I love reading the passages between John 13 and 16, which is the time when he sat down with the disciples just before he was arrested and carted off to be killed. And there's several chapters there, and he's just talking to them. And he says things like this. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But in the same breath, he said, I've told you this so that you may have peace in me. He himself is our peace. Paul wrote that in Ephesians. So he does promise peace in him. Earlier on in the same conversation in John 14, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Peace, do not be afraid. Lack of fear, is that peace? I looked up peace in the dictionary. Of course, there's different dictionaries from Wikipedia through, but um, some choosing one that suits me best. It was the Pocket Oxford Dictionary, actually, and it says this, there are three strands to the meaning of peace. The first is quiet tranquility. 
The second is mental calm. And the third is freedom from war. So if Jesus wasn't promising some of those things in terms of the world as a whole community. He is promising it to us, to those that want it, to you and me. A sense of tranquility, a sense of mental calm, a sense of freedom from war. And elsewhere we read in scripture about this war that goes on. In James, and this is from the New Living Translation, where do the wars and fights among you come from? Don't they come from the desires at war inside you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight in war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask him, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. James is very straight, isn't he? So I believe that this Prince of Peace, I believe the message for us, for me today, is this. That it's personal. That it's to do with peace inside, not the circumstances outside. And it's being without war inside you. That, I believe, is what it is about. Peace to you. Do not fear. Peace to you. Fear not. Spoken by the angels to Zacharias, to Joseph, to Mary, the shepherds. Then the angels spoke to the women at Jesus' tomb. Jesus spoke to it when he was on the lake and they were frightened. And when he was written, risen and he greeted all the disciples together, he says, peace be with you. God is a God of peace. Okay, so what does this peace mean in my own life? In the summer we had some memory verses. Anyone remember any? Proverbs 3, 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. A research group in America did an online survey amongst over a thousand Christians in 2012. It was totally anonymous. And they asked, what are the top temptations you struggle with? Hmm. I think it's quite surprising. I kind of wondered whether it would say lust or pornography or things like that. But could you see what the top one is? Worrying, being anxious, procrastinating and putting things off, eating too much, interesting, spending too much time on media. I have to say these are very uh, Western, very first world issues. I don't know whether you were looking at the slides earlier when we came in, but there were pictures of Albania and uh, of children that walked three or four miles to pick up a shoebox because they were so poor. And here we are, worried about the Christmas turkey or whatever. 
I find I'm very prone to worrying and procrastinating. <laughs> Maybe some of you are. But God is the Prince of Peace, so he's come for me, as well as you, as well as the children in Albania. So what we did at the prison, and I want us to do now, is just listen to three stories of characters in the Christmas story, which Mark is going to read, and then I'll come back up here again. Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 38. The angel, Gabriel, appeared to Mary and said, Greetings, favoured woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 18. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognise him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. 
Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 33. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So, when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace, as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Thanks, Mark. That's great. So in those readings, I don't know whether you picked up, but there's a lot of do not be afraid, peace. And it was into a world that was far from it, actually. The Romans were in occupation. God hadn't been speaking to his people for 400 years. It seemed chaotic. It wasn't easy for anyone. And yet, God is coming and saying, peace to you. Do not be afraid. So I want to think about the reaction of these people. So in the first reading, we hear about Mary. And this angelic being appeared and she was terrified, as you can imagine. Not a little child in white clothing holding a star. Something quite scary. And this being spoke to Jesus and said, don't be afraid. How did she react There was something about what this being said to her that brought her peace. And she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. What a staggering response. When we were asked the question earlier by Hilary, which character, I thought, I wouldn't want to be Mary. (laughs) I don't know how I'd have reacted. But it's wonderful. And in the Magnificat, she talks about herself being a humble person, doesn't she? So this dear young lady responded to the words that she heard by saying, okay, whatever you say, yes, I won't be afraid. I won't. I'll respond by giving you all I've got. Wonderful. In the second reading, we heard about the shepherds, these despised people. Um, It's been said here here before, but they really were despised people. They were normally illiterate. They weren't accepted in a court of law as witnesses because they weren't believable. Um, They were like the homeless. They weren't well washed and shaven, I don't suppose. 
and they were kicked around in town. Isn't it amazing that God came to them and said, Peace to all on whom my favour rests. What did they react? How did they react to this message? Again, this angelic host this time, armies of heaven. And their reaction was, well, I wonder what their question was. Can God be pleased with us? <coughs> Can he? Is that possible? That he's pleased with us? Because it says he's peace to those with whom he's well pleased. Let's go and find out about this. Let's explore it. Let's go into town. Let's find this thing. What is it? And it's recorded that when they came out, they tell, tell every, telling everyone about it. And the people were amazed at what they'd been saying. What happened to these guys? These off-scouring. They found something. Peace. <laughs> In the midst of their difficult circumstances. And then the third one is Simeon. This dear old man. It doesn't say his age in scripture. But he was ready to die. But he had a promise by the Spirit that he would see the Messiah. And he must have waited and waited and wondering. And then one day he was prompted to go into the temple. And he knew, he saw this, this something. And he thought, this is it, this is it. And he took up, he rushed over. It seems like he rushed from the way it's written. To Joseph and Mary and held the baby and said, I've seen your salvation. What did he see? It wasn't written on his forehead. He wasn't speaking. He couldn't speak. He was five and a half weeks old. He was a suckling child. And yet, something in him knew this was it. And that just reminds me that the way we talk about Jesus, the way we discover him, isn't about our knowledge, our understanding, of getting it all sorted in our heads. There's something deep in us, which when we hear God's voice, yeah, that's it. And we have the choice then. Do we say yes, or do we reject it? So I suggest this. Peace is not about the absence of pain. Or suffering. Peace is about presence, not absence. The presence of the peace, the Prince of Peace, in your own heart, through the Spirit, just as He came to Mary, just as the Holy Spirit filled Elizabeth, just as He filled Zechariah, so He prophesied, and just as He led Simeon. And the Holy Spirit is central to those conversations that Jesus had with his disciples before he was crucified. In those chapters, John 13 to 16, read it. His Spirit can bring peace to a troubled heart. And if we look at history, then actually God's promised presence was the thing that ensured that as a nation they would have peace. And if they followed his ways, they would have peace. They didn't follow his ways, and they didn't have peace. So it seems to me that peace is actually conditional. So just because you get a Christmas card with it on, doesn't give you peace in your heart. So we can forfeit peace 
by not responding to the offer. The offer's there. Christ has won it for us at great expense. I love the way that we hear about this angelic host and in the reading we've read from the NLT, it talks about this army of angels. And what Jesus came to do wasn't just something nice. He wasn't a therapist. He waged war on our behalf. He went to the depths of hell so that you and I could have relationship with our Creator. He did all that was necessary so that it's true when we hear, peace to you, don't be afraid. Everything, everything. And on the cross, he went there. And on the cross, something amazing happened, and I don't think we'll ever understand it, this side of heaven. But the earth shook. The dead came out of the graves. There was dark over the whole earth for three hours. Something amazing was happening. And these angels appearing on that Christmas morning are kind of seeing that coming. And this army is saying, look at this. Look what's happening. Look what's been born. Can you see what's going to happen? And it did happen at the cross. And Jesus rose again. And something ended there. It was finished. Our enemy had been done in. So that we can know peace. But if we want peace, we have to recognise that it can only come from the Prince of Peace. He's a ruler, captain. We can't have peace on our terms. I cannot be truly free without surrendering. That's what Mary tells us. I can't have peace at the centre of my life and still remain on the throne in the centre of my life. Be my own captain. I can't do it. That's what Israel tried to do. And that's not what these scriptures tell us. You are not the captain of your ship. You're not the master of your fate. There's only one God. And it's not you. And it's not me. Thank God. But what we do know is that the God of peace, the captain of peace, is here with a message that is powerful. He has purchased, bought peace and he's offering it. The hymn writer Fanny Crosby, I don't know her, but she wrote Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Anyone over 50 will know that one. One line says, perfect submission, all is at rest. So what I'm saying is that Actually, we can know this deep, deep shalom in our hearts. Whatever goes on around us, that's the promise. So we're not guaranteed that it's going to work out how we want it to work out. But it's possible, through the Holy Spirit, through relationship with God, to walk through bad news. To walk through times of war and conflict. This gospel is as apt to us as it is to the people in Albania, or Syria, or Afghanistan, 
or Yemen. It's that powerful. And we're kind of shielded from it here because we're so cushioned. But it's real. It's real. And we read about it, don't we? When we read of some of these people who've been in difficult circumstances and known God with them. Yeah. But I think it's true for communities and I think it's true for nations. Which is why I fear for where we live now. Because if we do turn our backs on God as a nation, there are consequences. That's the fact. That's what history tells us. I'm sorry, but that's the way it is. But you and I can know peace in the midst of it all. So, how does this impact how you and I should be living and interacting with others? We're to be ambassadors, we're to be pastoral, and we're to be prophetic. We're to be at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, and at peace with others. At peace with God, because we're forgiven, walking with him, knowing him, living in us. At peace with ourselves, because we accept, like Mary, I'm just a woman, a poor woman, I can't do this. I get... I get irritated with myself because I think I should do better at stuff and should behave better at this or do that. And you know I have to come to accept that that's the way it is, that God's grace is bigger and his blood's enough. I have to remind myself of that. It's true. And at peace with others, Scripture tells us, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. So don't compromise holiness in order to be at peace. But I do believe that if we want to be prophetic, it will upset people. If you read Matthew 10, this old chapter where Jesus warns us of just that. You're going out like sheep in the midst of wolves. People are going to hate you because you represent me. Malcolm Duncan, um, quite a well-known speaker, he calls it uncomfortable peace. (laughs) I quite like that. So my question to us, as I draw this bit to a close, is, like Mary, like Isaiah, actually, if we read in chapter 6, before we get to chapter 9, will we respond, okay, send me? But he too said, woe is me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It transformed the way he lived from being desperate and downcast to realising that actually God could touch his lips and he could make a difference in the world. And how did he do that? He gave everything over to God. And he was an unpopular prophet. But we still rejoice in what he said today. So I want to say, very straight, don't be afraid. Peace to you. Whatever you're facing, 
Don't be afraid. Peace to you. Don't be afraid. Peace to you. It's true. And to know it is giving yourself over. I've got a few minutes now just to reflect on anything God may have been saying to you. If it's just me, forget it. That's fine. But I've got three questions for us to think of. Firstly, are you really at peace with God? Is there anything you're trying to hide from Him? Something you can't be open about with God in your conversation with Him that causes lack of peace, discord, frustration. Is He really your captain? Have you surrendered? And are you at peace in yourself? Do you know you're loved by God just as you are, faults and all? And are you at peace with others? Is there anyone you find difficult? Are you doing what you can to be at peace with them? Your boss, colleague, family, neighbour? Do you need to forgive? Fear not. Peace to you. So that's just a few moments, those three things are up there. And consider it.